you may know Arc Thrift Stores as an awesome place to find that last piece of furniture for your spare bedroom, or if you're lucky, that 1992 Nirvana Tour t-shirt. What you might not know is that thanks to one man's crusade to help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, the organization has grown to have a billion dollar economic impact on Colorado, and it supports countless people all across the country. Be ready to take some notes as Arc Thrift Store President and CEO Lloyd Lewis provides a masterclass on purpose, collaboration, and leadership on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm honored to host a real titan in the nonprofit world, Lloyd Lewis. Lloyd is the CEO and president of the ARC Thrift Stores in Colorado, which has become one of the largest social enterprises in Colorado. After the birth of his son, Kennedy, who was born with Down syndrome in 2003, Lloyd became a dedicated advocate for Down syndrome research. He worked closely on research advocacy across the country with the legendary Dr. Linda Cernick. Lloyd has also partnered with Michelle C. Witten and the C family, who created and funded the Linda Cernick Down Syndrome Research Center on the CU Anschutz campus, which is now the world's largest Down Syndrome research facility. Building on his successful business career, Lloyd was recruited to the ARC Thrift Stores in 2005 as CEO and president. The ARC Thrift Stores answer the huge responsibility of raising funds for the 15 ARC chapters of Colorado who do individual and systemic advocacy for children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. ARC Thrift Stores have hired nearly 400 employees with intellectual and developmental disabilities who work in all phases of the operation, in both the stores and at corporate headquarters. On top of that, Lloyd's stewardship has led to the support of hundreds of additional nonprofit organizations across the country through a vehicle donation program and much more support in Colorado including distributing 3 million pounds of food and tens and tens of thousands of pounds of supplies for shelters, rescue missions, and so many others in need. In total, get ready for this. Lloyd has been responsible for approximately $225 million in direct revenue funding for, for all of these operations and an economic impact through ARC thrift programs of more than $3 billion. That is with a B, people. Lloyd is the past chair of the Rocky Mountain Down Syndrome Association and is the current chair of the Colorado Cross Disability Association, the Atlantis Community Foundation, the State of Colorado Disability Funding Committee, Adams Camp, and the Colorado Disability Partnership. Among recognition leaders received locally and nationally over the years, one of the most impressive will be later this summer when he will receive the World Citizenship Award from Civitan International, a global organization of service clubs, for his work on behalf of those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. He'll join the likes of Eunice Shriver, who founded Special Olympics, Winston Churchill, and Dwight Eisenhower. A pretty cool list to be on. Most importantly, Lloyd and his wife live in Colorado and are raising his two youngest children, Kennedy and Aiden. He has a daughter and three grandchildren in Missouri, along with a daughter who will receive her PhD in molecular and cellular biology at the University of Washington later this year, as well as a daughter in Orlando working on her liberal arts degree. Chips off the old block. Lloyd, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. I've been looking forward to this. So it's very nice of you to do this. Oh, likewise, likewise. And, you know, we all know the art thrift stores are places to find amazing values and they're very cool retail stores. But for those who don't know, explain how the organization is much more than just a retail operation. Yeah, as you said, we're one of Colorado's largest social enterprises. 
and we are a 54-year-old nonprofit, and we collect donations from the public. We sell them across the state, from Fort Collins to Pueblo and in Grand Junction in 31 uh, thrift stores, retail thrift stores. We'll be adding three this year. And the net funding that we obtain from uh, these stores is dedicated to funding 15 ARC advocacy programs. And these programs are affiliated with the ARC of the United States. And in Colorado, across the state, they help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities like Down syndrome, autism, cerebral palsy, find jobs, housing, medical services, services and schools. So there truly is a, a noble purpose uh, to what we do with the net funding from our generous donors and generous shoppers. We're also one of the largest employers of people with intellectual disabilities in the state. I've hired nearly 400 wonderful employees and we've created an educational program, a social program, a community, community service program to supplement their employment. And my own son, Kennedy, 18 with Down syndrome, has just started uh, work at our South Broadway store. Awesome. And he is uh, very proud of that. He's hanging men's clothing with, with a job coach. Very but it's just, a, cool. it's just a wonderful nonprofit. It is. And one of my favorites, if you could talk a little bit about, is the, the ARC Academy that you guys do, which is another you know part of the whole enterprise. But it's super cool because it's an educational piece. Yeah, we created, uh, in, during my tenure, I started in 2005, something we call ARC Academy. And it's comprised of four different specific uh, programs. One is our employment program. And we have employees in all of our 31 stores, in our warehousing operations, in our corporate office, people with intellectual disabilities. And we make sure that we have them fitted to jobs that they enjoy uh, and that they have skill sets for. We have buddies for each of our uh, ambassadors, as we call these employees who help them when needed and support them. And uh, it's just a thriving employment program. And these employees are very proud of their work. And almost to a person, they believe that if they don't show up at their store, the store is going to crash that day, <laughs> just not make it through. And it might. <laughs> uh, we have 0% turnover among these employees. They're very positive. They love to contribute. And they love to work in teams. They're just wonderful employees. Remarkable. And we also have an educational program we call ARC University, a series of 12 post-secondary styled classes in money and computers and pet care and transportation, et cetera. And I designed it such that if they participate at all, they get a certificate. If they participate in six of 12, they get a bachelor's degree, nine of 12 a master's, 12 of 12 a PhD. Wow. And as they walk across the stage, and some of these people aren't even verbal, you would think you were at a Harvard commencement ceremony. They're all fired up in front of hundreds of family and friends. And, oh. and they're just so proud. And, you know, we have a graduation ceremony uh, every May. And our last ceremony, we had 30 master's graduates, 30 PhDs. Wow. And again, some of these folks learn a lot. Some don't learn so much. Some learn some. But we do it as much for self-confidence and self-esteem as anything else. Sure. And this was it's, something that you all created seeing a need for it, correct? That is correct. And we intend to take all of these programs across the country. I'll be talking to uh, international civitans at their upcoming uh, conference. Uh, in July, I will be talking to 
uh, Arc of the United States members at an upcoming convention in Denver this November. And then the last program we're doing is in conjunction with the Civitans, it's a community service program. And so uh, we have, I, I think, 40 members among our employees with IDD, and they do community service projects. They might write letters to seniors. They might make gifts for law enforcement. They might collect food for people in need. They might collect clothing for people in need. And they just love to give back. And it's a very inspiring program. So that's that's our ARC Academy, which I regard as one of the best employment programs in the country or probably the world. No it's, doubt. And, it's and a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing that part of that is incorporating their giving back. You know, you might think of these people at, at somewhat of a disadvantage, but they're not. And they're they're being taught that they have the capacity to give back. And that is beautiful. When they're included, they're they they are the life of the party. They uh, <laughs> they they are wonderful human beings. And we have a gentleman with Down syndrome who brings in his bowling score every week. And he, they announced over the PA system and all the customers and employees applaud. <laughs> we have a young lady with cerebral palsy who told my CEO group that she was gunning for my job. Uh-oh. She'd throw better parties. And when I chided her bowling <laughs> night, she said she was throwing me under the short bus. Oh, funny. <laughs> and they're just wonderful human beings. That's great. One of the things, you know, that, that I admire about the organization a lot is... I talk about it a lot that nonprofit doesn't mean you're not a business. If you can go out of business, you are a business. And I had somebody recently tell me that nonprofit is just a tax code that we're all a business. The ARC thrift stores are a thriving business. They're always clean. They're always organized. Talk about how you're intentional with the customer experience there because it's, it's a great business. In the modern thrift store industry, you would think you're walking into TJ Maxx unless you agree specifically as a thrift store. We emphasize cleanliness, lighting, merchandising. We uh, have modern updated facilities that are new facilities that we've acquired. We make sure that uh, they're in visible locations with, you know, high traffic, accessibility, et cetera. But my whole notion, I came from the private sector, is the better we run our social enterprise, the more we earn, the more uh, programs we can fund. Right. So the whole idea is how do we really increase the donation and shopping experience to make sure we have a great selection of items for people to purchase and value pricing, make our donations experiences pleasant and easy. And the whole idea is we had 14 record years pre-COVID. And uh, the idea was to grow our earnings capacity as a company to grow the programs that we support. And I believe that works for any nonprofit. Agreed. And uh, that's, you know, I chair some other nonprofit boards and we've seen sort of the same thing there where we grow our budgets and our revenue and our support so that we can do more for people. And that's really the, uh, the, um, uh, um, the, what I've emphasized here with better business practices and an emphasis on our mission internally and externally. And I think that's a takeaway that anybody running a nonprofit organization can take is you have to think of that in terms of earnings and business and revenues, just as much as in, in just because you're doing great community work and great programs, you still have to think of those in those business terms and, and execute. But speaking of business, you've shown 
obviously shown that you won't stand still in generating new revenue streams. Talk about Vehicles for Charity and and where that grew and, and we have and a how that program called Vehicles for Charity. Yeah. And we work with probably a thousand nonprofits across the country. A thousand. And we accept vehicle donations on their behalf. And the majority of the net proceeds from um, auction sales of those donated vehicles go to the charities that we're supporting. Uh, we are a very large funder of Colorado Public Radio, as an example. And um, we um, ex- you know, pick up the donated vehicles. We do the tr- title transfers. We arrange for sales at auctions. And we have been able to fund during my tenure, I think nearly $40 million Jeez. to probably a thousand charities across the country. Uh, and we're very proud of, uh, of that, uh, you know, that program and what we've been able to do. Very proud of our partnership with Colorado Public Radio. And it's just, it's a very wonderful um, ancillary uh, program that we do that generates funding both for us and Again, probably a thousand charities across the country. Well, and and talk about that. The need to be, you know, in a competitive marketplace, there's 20,000 some nonprofits in Colorado. In a competitive marketplace, you have to be flexible and nimble enough to create new revenue streams like this. Yeah, absolutely. It, it generates funding for our programs. It generates funding for programs across the country. You know, we do a lot of relief across the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. We believe that when we give back, it's one, the right thing to do, yep. but two, the smart thing for the business. Our brand has never been stronger. And, uh, you know, when I started hiring people with disabilities as a, because I'm a parent, I thought it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it was, I didn't realize it was a smart business thing to do because it's really <laughs> helped build our brand and instill, you know, amazing morale in the company among uh, the peers of our employees with disabilities. And the same thing with relief. So we became an essential business during COVID. We distributed over 100 tons of food since COVID, nearly 90 million in support of other organizations and people in need during COVID. Tens of thousands of pounds of supplies to people in need. Marshall Fire. Marshall Fire. We raised uh, $400,000 to support the victims of the Marshall Fire. We were down at the disaster center in Lafayette for a couple of weeks, interacting personally one-on-one with victims. And we now are fortunate that with our infrastructure, there's no person in the state who can't reach out to us that we can't help anymore. You know, food, supplies, clothing, vouchers. We uh, were able to help. And again, we do it because it's the right thing to do. But the unexpected consequence is that it's really established this brand in Colorado that is attractive to people and they also want to help. Yeah. I mean, it is remarkable to think, oh, it's this retail operation. The tentacles of it are stunning. It's like the giant oak tree with roots that go everywhere. But you've seen this organization now almost two decades and it continues to grow. Like you mentioned, 14 straight years of best revenue. And that that doesn't just happen. So talk to us a little bit about what are some of your bedrock leadership principles and where did they come from? You know, I'm asked that question quite a bit. I'll bet. But, um, you know, I did a a uh, business degree at the University of Chicago, considered one of the best business schools. I've done executive education at Harvard and Cambridge and done a lot of online uh, courses with other, you know, Stanford, et cetera. But frankly, you know, 
my belief is that business is common sense and street smarts. You know, I'm not sure why, you know, I'm good at this, but it turns out, <laughs> turns out that I've had a fair amount of success. And in, in my mind, it's about, you know, making sure people know what the purpose is of their jobs in any company. Every company across this state uh, fulfills a very important purpose, whether they're construction companies building the offices that we work in or the homes that we live in or the businesses that we work in, or whether it's, you know, grocery stores providing needed food and other critical items to families, yeah. uh, software companies that, you know, enable people like us to have these Zoom calls. Right. Every company has a purpose. And the more you talk about the purpose of your company, the more people get committed to that purpose. And I think people enjoy working at a job where they help people. Um, Agreed. And the more that's emphasized, and I've done a lot of that here, uh, and then, you know, holding uh, people accountable, inspiring people, with the purpose of their company and then, you know, surrounding them with people who embody the purpose of the company. Yeah. And I would do what I'm doing it with any company. I also chair the community committee for the Colorado business Roundtable, mm-hmm. affiliated with the national Roundtable. They recently redefined business to go beyond Milton Friedman's, you know, shareholder wealth to employees to uh, vendors, to sustainability, to the community. And I, I deeply believe that the more companies emphasize purpose and help the community, the stronger their businesses become. And I think it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I tour the company every quarter. I talk to all employees. We have 1,700 throughout the company. 1700. Uh, I have monthly managers meetings with all my managers. And um, I think it's about, you know, again, letting people know what, what they're achieving to help others with whatever company they work in. And then making sure that you manage the business smartly to increase earnings so you can increase the funding that the programs you support. So big piece of that, obviously, which I know, just from the, the little I've known you over the years is it's communication. You have to be a strong communicator because you can say, oh, we're going to let people, you know, we want people to know the purpose and everything else, but you still have to be able to communicate that. Right. And I do that really often. Yep. And uh, I talk about my son, Kennedy, with Down syndrome. And I talk about uh, our ambassadors, our employees with intellectual disabilities, and they become sort of the centerpiece of the company. And I always have a conversation on a monthly basis with one of our ambassadors at our all company managers meetings. Mm -hmm. And they are typically, you know, inspiring and funny and moving. And we talk about their lives and, and it's just a lot of fun. I'll bet. So how do you think your leadership has evolved over the years with the way technology is changing and shopping habits have changed and demographics have changed? Well, as you know, I was a CFO prior to being a CEO. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I got the CEO's chair, you know, I began began to dawn on me that companies were not all about finance. <laughs> you know, operations was important, marketing was important, human resources was important, uh, rank and file em- employees were extremely important. 
And my own evolution as a CEO has broadened to encompass appreciation of all of these different parts of, of my company and any company. And also I've evolved in terms of recognizing that, you know, when you have success, there is a real obligation to support others and to help others. That is a great uh, lesson right there. I've been personally successful. So I like to help as many people as I can. The company has been very successful. We try to help everybody that we can. We do three to five relief efforts a week, a week, Um, a week. Wow. And, um, it, it just all sort of builds on itself. Wow. So what advice would you give somebody stepping into a CEO role at a nonprofit? I would start with reading Hubert Jolie's Heart of Business. He turned around Best Buy that was on its knees and made it the darling of Wall Street. But he did that by really uh, emphasizing the importance of the rank and file employees and being nimble in how he ran the business. And he's a big believer in giving back to the community. He's now a Harvard professor. I would start there. And then I would I would go out and meet all your employees, learn what's most important to them. Uh, and I would really define the purpose of your business and how you're helping society and helping people in your society. And really emphasize that constantly and you know, meet with your employees, you know, frequently and talk about the purpose of the business and thank them for what they're doing. Be that thankful, is, be appreciative. That is master's level education we're getting here today. So what keeps you, you know, obviously the company is is thriving. You survived COVID. Uh, we're an essential business, made it through all that. And now you're, you're on the upswing. What keeps you energized and moving forward all these years? Uh, it's, it's my son with Down syndrome. It's our great employees who help support people like my son. It's the mission of the company. Uh, It's the boards I get to chair. I'm fortunate to chair. And it's just being involved in this wonderful community of supporting people with intellectual disabilities. And then just generally trying to help as many people as we can. And, um, you know, we have challenges and we have things that we have to work through. But at the end of the day, uh, being able to fulfill this important mission, I feel very fortunate. What do you think are the greatest misperceptions about folks with intellectual disabilities? I think the greatest misperceptions are uh, that can't be included in the workplace because they don't have the skill set, or it may be too risky to include them in the workplace. I guarantee any company can hire people with intellectual disabilities and find a good fit somewhere in the company. And companies would find that they're really not difficult to employ or train or have as a part of your company. And and by the way, they will greatly contribute and inspire other employees. I think there's a misperception that, you know, they can't be included and mainstreamed in public schools, that to some degree they need to be segregated. And that's, that's a great misperception because when they're mainstreamed in classes, uh, as long as they have some assistance and accommodations in the lessons, mm-hmm. uh, they can, you know, they can learn, they can participate, and they're inspiring to the fe- their fellow students. Yeah. I don't know who gets more out of mainstreaming, whether it's people with IDD yeah. 
or the typical students. It's probably the typical students. I, I'm not sure uh, I'd, I'd argue with that. My, my daughter's the teacher and says the same thing all the time. There's a misperception that it's difficult to provide housing for people with IDD. Mm-hmm. The state's current solutions are living with aging parents or living in small host homes. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, they should be given the full range of options, including living in communities as everybody else. And I don't, I don't think it does a great service to the community or to people with ID, IDD to have limited options. Yeah. So take us back to 2003 when Kennedy was born. You, you obviously dove headfirst into the research and advocacy for Down syndrome. But was there an aha moment when you kind of realized, you know what, this is going to be my life's work? So uh, when he was born, we did not know he would have Down syndrome. Hmm. And, uh, you know, this... Uh, doctor came and just announced he had no good news to tell us about our son. I thought maybe he died. Right. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we suspect he has Down syndrome. And I said, well, tell me about that. Yeah. And this guy says it was like mongoloidism. So I threw him out of the room, banned him from reentering, got some nurses who had good information. And I, my revelation was for whatever reason, I just thought from the moment I was told that he was a great kid and would always be a great kid. And he was in the hospital on oxygen for a couple of weeks, came home on oxygen for a couple of months. But I immediately got involved in trying to determine how could I create a better life for my son, which initially was scientific research advocacy Mm -hmm. and then became a supportive general advocacy. But, you know, he, 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 his birth awakened in me a recognition that I needed to use whatever skills I have to help him and others like him have a better life. And that, that was the biggest, you know, that would not have been predictable for me, by the way, because I was uh, maybe not the nicest CFO in the history of CFOs, but, uh, (laughs) and he's, you know, he softened me a lot. And, you know, what I've generally learned is we try to make them like us, but maybe we should try to be like them. Uh, that's a great statement. For the most part, they're very generous and loving and just really kind human beings. Agreed. And, um, so I've become a much better person, although I'm still not, I'm still not at his level. We're Uh, all works in progress. I I, I give, I give it my, uh, my effort. Think of that, that that's a, it's an amazing story to me that from that you've become head of this empire, uh, that, that is having impacts yeah, and intriguingly, this wasn't an um, amazingly I, wide. Intriguingly, this wasn't an empire when I was when I joined. Right, and actually, it was a turnaround. Yep, and uh, it took about a year, but we turned it around and kept going. But it was initially uh, a very difficult uh, project. I'm sure it was a few. What have I gotten myself into? Days. Yeah, I wanted to be CEO, and I'm glad I didn't know everything that <laughs> all the what all the challenges were. Right, I might have passed, but have. Actually, I didn't. <laughs> well, with the with the Linda Cernick Down Syndrome Research Center on the CU campus, Denver really is a groundbreaking hub globally. So, what excites you about the future of research and advocacy for people with IDD? Well, on the research side, my friend Michelle C. Witten, who's on my board and a longtime friend, and who I initially did research advocacy with is just doing amazing stuff. So initially when she and I got started, Down syndrome was maybe getting 12 million a year from the NIH, whereas other issues were getting hundreds of millions of dollars. 
Wow. And she's built that now into the world's largest DS research center with uh, NIH now doing $100 million a year in funding. Ugh. Wow. And uh, my own daughter is about to get a PhD, did some initial research there, and then went on to her PhD program. Uh, but Michelle is doing just wonderful stuff with research and pediatrics clinic and education, and she's doing amazing stuff. On the advocacy side, you know, there's been a lot of progress uh, for people with Down syndrome and other issues just from inclusion. People with Down syndrome have gained on average 20 IQ points. Going wow. Severe to moderate impairment to moderate to mild impairment over the last 20 years or so. Think of that just through uh, inclusion. A lot of progress. Wow. And, you know, that's awesome. In the 1940s, they were housed in large institutions and inhumanely treated. The Ark of the United States, the first organization founded by parents, initially advocated for humane treatment, followed by deinstitutionalization and mainstreaming, very involved in public education, advocacy, et cetera. But with all of that, with all of that, there are still tremendous challenges. So on the advocacy side, you know, 80% of women will be abused, 40% multiple times, 40% of men. That's staggering. There's an 80% 80 unemployment rate. There is an extreme shortage of housing. There still is a need for inclusion in the public schools. And there's an enhanced need for healthcare services for people with IDD. I was very involved in advocating for vaccine prioritization for people with IDD. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, there's been tremendous progress. People like my son now live with their families and participate in the community and you know work work in some level and are mainstreamed at some mm-hmm. level in high schools. But there is a, a tremendous need for even more advance. And that's what we're all committed to as advocates. So that's what keeps you going. All right. So I, I like to wrap up with what I call the fab four. So the first one is, is what's something you will listen to read or watch today? I am, <laughs> I am uh, following the January 6th hearings. Yep. Much to the consternation of uh, my wife, who's on the <laughs> other side of the aisle, but uh, I am very interested in, you know, as a child of Watergate, yeah. I'm interested to see what happens with the hearings and January 6th itself was very concerning to me that we would have a riot and imperil, you know, Congress people. Right. Uh, and the vice and, president. And uh, attempt to overturn the election. That That's very concerning to me. So that's, that's uh, something that um, I'm recording and watching as I can. I think I know the answer to this one, but who is a role model for you? in your work and making the world better? Well, uh, several. So on the personal side, uh, it's my son, Kennedy. Yep. And it's all of our ambassadors with disabilities. Uh, Growing up, uh, my grandfather, who was a dedicated employee of mobile oil and managing a refinery in Tacoma, Washington. And, um, you know, in terms of, political leaders, I've become a student of the Great Depression and World War II, and I much admire FDR and Churchill for what they did in defeating Nazism. Yeah. In fact, I'm visiting the FDR library later this week. Nice. I'm flying to Newark at midnight this Thursday. 
Then I'm driving to Hyde Park, two hours from Newark. And then I would I fly back early Sunday morning for Father's Day. Nice. And then I, I also admire uh, JFK, RFK, MLK, and what they really tried to do for people. Other than Arc Thrift Stores, is there an organization out there that you really admire that inspires you to do your work? Well, the, the, the organizations I chair do amazing mm-hmm. work. The Colorado Cross Disability Coalition doing systemic and individual advocacy. Uh, Adams Camp, as you know, which does great adventure and therapy camps for people with IDD. Is my friend uh, Adam still working in your security department? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Adam is still an employee. Uh, and he does a great job. I was having best. a birthday pizza with him once and asked him what his life goal was. He was working at a store. It was law enforcement, as you know. Yep. So we, we put him in our LP department, and he monitors computers daily to see if anyone is trying to steal stuff from us. Yep. Perfect and job for him. He has a business card, and... He identifies as being part of, you know, loss prevention, helping laws being uphill. I love it. Lastly, if anybody listening wants to volunteer, support, or learn more about, about your organization, where do they find you? Just go onto our website, arcthrip.com. And we have, you know, millions of volunteer hours that we've done during my tenure. Yep. And we have lots of volunteers from the community and churches and companies and just all over the place that really do a lot to help us and much appreciated. And they can also call our general offices at 303-231-9222, 303-231-9222. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes and uh, Lloyd, hang on one second, but we're grateful for you being here and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this conversation with highly decorated nonprofit leader, Lloyd Lewis. Check the show notes for contact information for Lloyd and Arcthrust Stores. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help you achieve your goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Until next time, I hope you are inspired to find a way to make our world better.